Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week we discuss a movie and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services so that you can participate with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I am joined by Alicia Walker. Hello. Nathan McKinney. Hello. Christine Deacon. Hello. Josh Dean. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And this week, we're going to be discussing my uh, selection, The Act of Killing. But first, we'll talk about what we've been watching lately. Zach, what have you been watching lately? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch as much as I had before. Um, So really, the only thing that I watched that was new but not new uh, is I went back and watched that, uh, that classic 1995 Mortal Kombat on HBO Max. Oh yeah. Uh, Cause we've been talking about it. And then, um, yeah, I just was like, it was like, it just popped up. Cause apparently it's real popular right now. And, uh, so I went ahead and, uh, rewatched it and man, I loved it. Got you're right, Dale. It's so good. <laughs> it's like so, so good. Yeah. Like I said, the casting definitely with like a couple other characters. I, you know, like uh, the, what's his name again? The guy, Highlander guy. Oh, Chris, uh, Lambert. Christoph Lambert. Yeah, like he's great. Like I still enjoy watching him on screen, but I mean, him as Raiden is just wrong. Uh, and, and then of course uh, we have. Uh, um, oh, sh- why am I blanking on names today? Charles Remar, right? No, not Charles Remar. What's his James Remar? James, James Remar. Se- Why Charles? God, but he plays yeah Raiden in the sequel. Uh, so anywho, just funny to me. But yeah, I I'll say like I actually liked that I was able to notice some like similarities and differences between the two films since I watched the new one recently. And um, like there were things that I really loved that they did in the new one that they didn't do in the previous one, but then there's stuff that they did in the previous one that they didn't do in the new one. So they kind of have their place in history, so to speak with, you know, what the, what they did, but yeah, it was fun. I stand by like the first Mortal Kombat movie is the best video game movie that's been made. Um, I have not seen the new one yet. Sure. But, but sure. I, I, every other one has just been atrocious, and um, Mortal Kombat Annihilation is is awful. It's just <laughs> so bad. So, uh, yeah, maybe I'll watch that one just to see what happens. <laughs> the guy that plays Shang Tsung in the original Mortal Kombat is just awesome. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's so was, good. Yeah, he's probably definitely better as Shang Tsung in the original than the new one. The guy who plays Shang Tsung in the new one's like, he's fine. Yeah. But like, yeah, he, he did a great job. Right on. Josh, how about you? Uh, well, uh, glad you asked. I uh, had an internet problem for the last uh, week, so I haven't gotten to watch very much. But um, in memoriam of Monty Hellman, the uh, director that passed away uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, I watched uh, Tulane Blacktop. Um, it, very, uh, very good little, uh, racing. Well, kind of a racing movie, kind of like easy rider in a lot of ways. Um, James Taylor is the driver of a, uh, 55 Chevy, um, that he goes around the country. you just challenging people to races, um, with his mechanic, uh, in the, in the passenger seat. The musician? And, uh, James Taylor, the musician. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, it's something to see. If and he doesn't, it the, for the first like hour he doesn't talk. Uh, but then once he starts talking, it's hard to shut him up. I guess. But, Does he ever um, say to someone, "I've seen fire and I've seen rain, but I've never thought I'd see you again"? No, he does call someone a motherfucker though, which was nice. I, I've never heard James Taylor curse before. Um, 
but uh, Warren Oates is in it. Um, it's just a weird little travelogue movie, and uh, uh, I would recommend it. Uh, you know, a lot of good like uh, driving sequences, obviously, and uh, good character work. Good seventies movie, and that it doesn't have an ending. So yeah, uh, check it out if you've never seen Too Late Blacktop. Right on, uh, Christine. How about you? I watched. Uh, I've been watching. Uh, Everything's gonna be okay with Josh Thomas. Uh, it is about this guy whose father died, and he's taking care of his two sisters or half sisters. Uh, one of whom is autistic, and just dealing with the ups and downs of that. And it's humorous, and it goes into how they're dealing with grief and stuff like that. Um, and then I also watched uh, over the weekend uh, the another round with Mads Mikkelsen. That was a good film. Uh, and I know Josh had talked oh, yeah. about it before, and it was a. I really enjoyed watching that. Yeah, right one on. best foreign film. Yeah. Nathan, how about you? Uh, I have been working my way through some old movies. Uh, so uh, I watched uh, the second of a trilogy. I believe it's by Antonio Antonioni or something like that. Uh, Lanot. I think I have the name way wrong. Um, I watched okay. uh, Alicia and I had watched the first one, which was La Aventura about a year ago, maybe. And I finally wanted to watch the second one. The second one's really great. Uh, it's not maybe the greatest movie to watch if you're going into a, a new marriage, because it's all about the end of a marriage. That's really pathetic <laughs> and sad, but it was still really entertaining. And uh, I, you know, I liked it. Uh, so I not a watched, date movie. What's that? Not a first date movie. Not a first date movie. Uh, <laughs> kind of like the Mel Gibson movie Ransom, which I did take a first date to. And uh, this is a side story that you probably don't need to know. But uh, back in the day, I took a first day to uh, see Ransom with Mel Gibson. And turned out her kid had been kidnapped by her dad. And she didn't wow. tell me till after the date. So also Ooh. not a first date movie. Uh, what I was going to say is for the listeners, uh, Alicia's face is priceless. The last minute and a half have been awesome. <laughs> hey, I, I had a life before I met my lovely wife. And Fair I'm enough. rhyming. I'm I'll, rhyming right now. It's I'll really just, great. I'll slip a few of those in later. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, also watched... Uh, Sweet smell of a uh, sweet smell of success. I thought I said that wrong at first, but no, that's right. Sweet smell of success. Uh, Zazzy Don's La Metro, which is a Louis Malle movie, which is the speediest movie I think I've ever watched. It's played in like hyper mode the whole way. Either it's actually literally playing fast forward as the film is going. Or they've cut things so quickly, like between different things happening, that they eat a meal in like 45 seconds. It's just really well done just to watch that. But it kind of matches the tone because it's following this little girl on her crazy misadventures in Paris in the 60s. And she's super hyper. So it just it was great. I loved it. And then last but not least, I watched the t first two movies on my Von Sternberg and... Uh, uh, Marlene Dietrich uh, 
paradox that I'm going through, which is Blue Angel and Morocco. Um, definitely loved both of those. Um, so I'm looking forward to another four or five of those. Okay. Alicia, how about you? Hi, guys. Hey, I watched some stuff. Uh, I did not see Ransom this week. Uh, but I did watch, I, uh, we, I feel like I watched a lot of stuff that had to do with some art. So we watched the series Lupin on Netflix, which uh, I don't know if you guys have caught that. It's a five episode series. It's been out for a little while, uh, but the next five episodes are coming out this summer. And it's, it's a heist movie. It's based on a, a fictional character in French literature. It's a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, and and good characters and things happening there. Uh, then I also watched a couple other things that had to do with art. I watched something called Made You Look, uh, which was a limited series about uh, an, an art forger, but the focus of the story was not on the forger themselves and how they did the work, which I'd seen in some other uh, docuseries, but instead was on... Uh, the famous gallery that sold the art and did they know mm. or did they not know and who bought it and what happened and when things started being questioned, what went down. So it was kind of the collapse of, a, of uh, essentially the gallery goes out of business, although it says it's for unrelated reasons. But shortly thereafter, when everybody got busted is when that happened. Uh, and then I also watched, and, and forgive me, I forgot to write the name down. The name escapes me. It was a limited series that was more recent on Netflix about the famous art theft that happened at the gallery in Boston. Um, it was where, an or shoot or something like that, wasn't it? No, that's like this is a this is a robbery. This was it. This is a robbery. Maybe that yeah. was it. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Uh, and at this gallery, um, the gardener or something, it's a, it's a woman's name and I'm showing my ignorance here, but it's a, it's a kind of Isabella Gardner. Thank you. It's kind of a boutique gallery. It's very much like a mom and pop. I collected some artwork and I made myself a cool gallery and then I'm going to die and leave it to the world. And I had a lot of, um, amazing paintings, had Rembrandt's only, uh, painting at sea, uh, the Sea of Galilee, uh, painting and and the art still has not been recovered. So millions of dollars of art happened over 20 years ago. Nobody still knows what happened, but they were trying to piece together the puzzle and see who they thought might be responsible. But there's no definitive answers because pe leading suspects are dead and the art is nowhere to be found and nobody knows if it's still surviving or not. So um, I got kind of on a kick of watching a lot of these these kind of art pieces. I'd seen a doc uh, some years ago on Netflix that I'd really enjoyed about a very famous German forager who uh, did a lot of uh, turn of the century, uh, you know, kind of cubist works and other stuff like that. And, and how he, there's probably still a bunch of them out there he's never been caught for doing and people still think are the real thing because he would target in particular art that, uh, maybe once existed and we know a title, but no one knows what it looks like. So he would just make something up in the style of that artist and haha, -ha, look, it's the long lost painting in the catalog that no one knows what it looks like. Here it is. And, uh, and so he, he did thousands and thousands of those, they think actually, but was only caught for like doing a hundred and some, which was fascinating. So anyway, lots of fun so, art stuff. So did you go down a rabbit hole after watching Murder Among the Mormons? I did not watch Murder Among the Mormons. Does oh. that also have to do with art? Or it is also it just, has to uh, do with forgery. So, Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> Although I see there's it. some other ones with forgeries of food, I think is something trending on Netflix right now. Something called like Spoiled or something where it's like, all the, I think it has to do with like people forging wines and stuff like that. That's, oh, okay. 
you know, or I guess some really great cheese. I don't know. But there's another one that has to do with food somehow, forgeries. I don't know. It's it's fun, you know. Right yeah, I, I used to have to forge a lot of uh, situations with uh, when I worked for a certain someone in California. Uh, uh-huh. I literally had to talk to the IRS on his behalf and pretend to be him. That was intense. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah forgery's fun, guys. <laughs> I think I just incriminated myself on a podcast. Well, we don't, I, you know, no one has to know it was Tom Hanks. It's fine. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I've been continuing my, my binge of uh, all of the late night or late night drive-in last drive-in uh, with Joe Bob Briggs uh, remarathoning all of the stuff that's left on shutter. And um, I, I wanted to talk about one particular film um, that I've recently watched again, which is the movie mayhem, which I think is a terrible name for a movie because it's so unmemorable. It's hard for people to remember, go look for mayhem on shutter Um or you can watch it on Hoopla now as well. Um, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, uh, exclusive anymore. But um, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but it it bears repeating. As uh, uh, my wife rewatched it with me, she watched it back when it aired live as well, and um, I think it's her favorite movie that he's ever done. Um, it's uh, Stephen Yuen and he's working in an office that's kind of like somewhere between office space and American psycho. And this virus breaks out and the virus makes everybody like Cro-Magnon crazy rage monsters um, that just fight each other all the time. And so it's about him surviving that and, or like getting what he wants out of what's going on at the company. Um, it, it's, it's similar in ways to Shaun of the dead. It's similar in ways to, uh, the raid movies. Um, but it's a whole lot of fun. And if you haven't seen it yet, uh, it's worth, it's worth looking for. So it's called mayhem. I, I have to say it as many times as I can because (laughs) it's so dang forgettable, um, of a title, but there you go. Dale is, is the Joe Bob. Uh, Briggs treatment a big part of the enjoyment of that particular movie or is it fine standalone uh, as well it's fine standalone um yeah it would stand up stand up by itself um I think every movie is better with Joe Bob hosting it um that's always a fun way to to see something and especially to be introduced to something new um because he goes into a lot of the background and talks about a lot of the stuff we talk about on the podcast honestly you know he talks about the characters and how the casting process worked and you know what they were supposed to get out of this scene and didn't get you know and those sorts of things so um lots of fun trivia and a very comic uh very comic character to to watch do that stuff so but yeah i would i would watch it either way um you know if you have shutter you might as well watch it with joe bob but it's not a not a must but uh, this week, our movie was The Act of Killing. Um, Josh and Zach, I know, have seen it before. I think it was new to the rest of you. Uh, Nathan, let's start with you. What did you think of The Act of Killing? Uh, you know, this one 
I had to sit with it a little bit to kind of even wrap any sort of thoughts around it because it's it pulled me a lot of different ways, which is probably a sign of a really good movie or really good doc. Um, I think this doc's goal was to make you incredibly uncomfortable to watch it, uh, incredibly uncomfortable with humanity and maybe even your own humanity a little bit. And I think it succeeds pretty well at all those things. Um, when you talk about your own humanity where he, the, the main guy is spending a lot of time saying, well, he was inspired by all these gangster movies that everyone in this group I know loves all those gangster movies and, and kind of enjoys some of the violence that goes along with that. And he took it to heart basically. And that made me feel really crappy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you know, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's just a reminder that humanity is capable of some really, really awful crap. And, uh, and it puts it right there on display, but I think it, it turned around at the end. I almost kind of felt like three quarters of the way watching this movie. I'm like, I felt like this guy isn't learning anything and he's just glorifying himself. And then even putting this movie out into the world is just a way of like backing that up and not solving anything. Um, but then the end um, kind of comes around and he finally found, finds himself in, in his own sins and, um, you know, this is going to be one of those that has a lot of deep discussion around it, I'm sure, but I, I'm trying to put it in my own nutshell here. I, I just feel like there's a lot to kind of go through when you watch this movie, um, from being disgusted with watching him to pitying him to uh, pitying everyone around him and um, just making yourself aware that even he can maybe recognize his own problems and at least sure. come to terms with them. Um, I don't know. It, it was, it was a pretty fascinating movie to sit and watch through. It was also really hard to sit and watch through, but yeah, it's kind of worth it. Kind of great. Right on. Alicia, how about you? Uh, so I was familiar with the movie, um, because when it had come out, even though I didn't see it, I felt like I saw lots of things about it and I saw a lot of clips about it and things like that. So I, as soon as it was mentioned, I was like, oh, that's a movie I've been wanting to see for a long time and just never got around to it. Um, I think, you know, you've got all these different levels of things you're looking at there. Um, you're looking at the story of these individual characters in particular. You're looking at Anwar Congo and kind of how he's wrestling with things or really not wrestling with things for a long time until, you know, a few events happen with his glorification of the events that make him start to think about things, which is in itself this whole different, you know, looking at the individual and the humanity of that and, and of you know, the inhumanity of what he did. But it's also looking at the bigger picture, which is this corrupt government and supporting media that have, of course, you know, made this whole event of this 1965 coup and then the killing of all these supposed communists into this huge, um, you know, glorious time in the country and how these gangsters, these free men, which I don't know if I ever totally got the translation of that going together during the film, but these free men. They decided that the word gangster means free man. That essentially yeah. the literal translation of that in that's what they think is we're free men. So it's, you know, that and, and just the, 
you know, the history is all about the perspective and, you know, history is told by the winners. And so just looking at it from everybody's point of view, oh, yeah, well, of course, we got rid of the communists. So we were doing a great thing for everybody. And just the perpetuation of that story. And of course, you know, villainizing the communists and talking about how they were horrible and that they were cruel against us, which, of course, they start to come to terms with when they're reenacting a scene, which was really fascinating. You know, like we were cruel. That was not true. They weren't doing things, you know, and they kind of have to come to terms with that, at least in that group. But um, but just looking as that's walking around society and talking to people and the elections and what's happening with that. And then like going on the talk show at the end, which was super surreal and like this, let's all clap and maybe we're doing a game after the next segment, but yet we're gonna talk about, so talk about these killings you did and da da da, and it's very casual and just that it's status quo and it's just what happened. And that's, and these are heroes really, you know, building it up and that all kind of supporting that. So I think that was a really fascinating look too. Uh, upon looking up a few things about it, I'm sure a lot of you looked up some stuff too, but but finding out, you know, kind of the history of how this film kind of got done, but also the fact that that uh, Anwar in particular was the 41st guy that's a per perpetrator that they interviewed, and his is the story they're, they're following in the movie, makes me wonder about the other 40, and if those didn't have a twist of some possible remorse or just weren't interesting in that, they didn't decide that their way of recreating and talking about that was going to be making a movie or a TV movie where he wanted to do that, you know, what it, whatever it was that wasn't, you know, wasn't going to become the focus of this film. I thought that was interesting to ponder. And, you know, I don't know if, if uh, the director, if Joshua Oppenheimer's talked about that more about what happened with the other 40. And maybe he hasn't because everybody's trying to stay kind of quiet about some of the production of this because of what happened with the state and everything like that and threats. But yeah, I thought it was fascinating. And then it really gets my mind working on all these different facets about the movie and the people involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wrote down the line, um, work crimes are defined by the winners and we are the winners. Um, which I think is, is one of the more so true standout lines. Yeah. The stuff that Addy talks about, in conjunction with all of that is just insane because he's 100% right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Christine, how about you? Yeah, I agree with all, with what they've been saying that it was definitely hard to watch just because they definitely talked about it in like glorified terms in the beginning. Definitely. Uh, it wasn't till like towards the middle that you saw even a hint of remorse start to come over uh, Anwar. And even uh, he said at one point that uh, cutting off the guy's head was the one thing he had nightmares about. And if he hadn't, if he maybe mm -hmm. had closed his eyes, then maybe he wouldn't have nightmares. That yeah. like, he literally said that. And then they're talking about uh, making their movie as sadistic as possible. And they're like, oh, you think the Nazis were sadistic? No, we can be more. We were more than that. And that's just mm -hmm. like chilling to think about. It's just like, okay, you don't, you don't want to hear people talking like that. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable to listen to. Um, and then uh, I think it's, interesting also how they have those surreal bits in there with uh just the dancing women by the wooden out like the wooden animals. the giant fish yeah the giant fish that's what it was i feel like 
uh, that would have been an interesting movie to watch on its own. Just like the the surreal <laughs> women dancing by the wooden uh, the wooden fish, and then uh, Anwar and uh, uh, the other guy in the pink, uh, just sitting Herman. there, Herman. just Herman. Yeah, Herman, just having their little conversations about nothing when the ladies are off dancing to the side. That'd be an interesting movie to watch as well, but. Uh, just yeah. a little side note that I had in my head while I was trying to separate myself from the uncomfortableness I was feeling. Um, but other than that, uh, it was very interesting and just hard to watch, especially when he was bringing his, like, waking his grandsons up to show them yeah. his murder. Like him reenacting being murdered, I was like, mm, "Yeah, I don't know." Well, and you notice, like, <laughs> like halfway through that scene, he then like shoves them back out. Yeah, yeah. Like he, like he realizes it's a bad idea. Yeah. When they're not like excited to watch it, and he's like, one of oh. them kind of was. The other one wasn't. Yeah, and then- but there there was like a certain point in the video where he was like, "Okay, okay, you guys go back yeah. to bed." Yeah, exactly. And then you kind of see the reality of it hitting him. And that's when he starts that whole gagging sequence. Yep. Like, I think a yeah. lot of those little interjections, too, by the director, mm-hmm. jo- you know, them interacting with Josh, which did remind me a lot of Errol Morris kind of stuff, too, when, you know, knowing that he has yeah. something to do with this as well, where it's just you, you, they're putting that in the movie, his little, I know, is this the best idea, Anwar, to go get the grandkids? Is this, should yeah. really be doing this? You know, and that, just those mm. little segments throughout, or else them, you know, asking Josh about something before they're shooting a scene or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Josh, how about you? How is your second, or, Repeat yeah, viewing. Second viewing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, hard to watch the first time, uh, still hard to watch the second time. But um, this time I, I really noticed all the uh, consumerism uh, angle of it that had you get kind of caught up in the whole murderousness of it and the chilling genocide. Um, but I kept noticing how much Western culture had just permeated everything over there. Yeah. And it occurred to me, I'm sure when you're thinking about a, a famous garroting scene in a movie, you're thinking about the Godfather, right? You're thinking about mm. the scene where they garrot someone in the back yeah. of the car. Take the cannoli. Take the cannoli. Yeah. You're, yeah. Leave the gun, take the cannoli. But, I realized that came out 10 years after those massacres. Yeah. So I feel like even though there These guys would have been watching like 30s and 40s gangster movies. Exactly. Which it wasn't such a popular method of execution back in those older movies because it is pretty brutal to watch. Um, So I was just thinking maybe they were um, either they were watching some, some really, really dark, 30s or 40s gangster movies or that had become a retroactive justification for them that they were watching these yeah that's possible um the other thing that that they mention about the garrot part of it is that they didn't come to that idea right away that right, they started a, a different way and it was too yeah. too messy 
And so they found this other method. Right. And which in the talk show, the guy says, oh, I got it from the movies. But it sounded like he kind of came up through it with trial and error when he's on that rooftop talking about it at the beginning. Um, but uh, Herman uh, is probably my quote unquote favorite character of the movie. They're all <laughs> despicable human beings. But uh, how they talked him into being in drag for most of the movie mm-hmm. and uh, being like the the butt of the joke for a lot of it. Like, I don't know how they talked him into that. Um, except he, that he, I guess is so beholden to these people. He was uh, like excited to do it. He was probably the best oh, actor yeah. out of all of them. Oh, that's every time he's trying to show someone how to act, he was like really into it. I was like, Oh, Herman's like a, he wants to be an actor one day. Yeah. This was like his hidden desire. Well, yeah. he's even um, directing on that, that like street scene that they're doing at the yeah. very beginning. It's just like, you know, He's rounding people up to to be in this house burning scene, and exactly, yeah. Um, and there's, uh, I noticed some uh, just more good payoffs in this one, like the when the burning the of the village scene, um, the the um, minister for the whatever culture and arts that was there, yeah. like all of a sudden realizing, wait, wait, this doesn't make us look that good. Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> have made this uh yeah it i i love it as it dawns on each of them that like are we the baddies are we the bad guys here this this might not be as good as we think we are um anyway yeah i love this movie uh don't watch it before you eat dinner uh like i did but besides that yeah highly recommended I did give everyone on the show a trigger warning about uh, a sympathetic gag reflex so you did. It was, it's my fault. It was entirely my fault. But I want to give the if anybody's listening to this before they watch it for some reason, yeah, just uh, just be careful. <laughs> that last scene, especially with yeah. with Onmar, I think, which goes way long. <laughs> oh god, just cut. Yeah, it's cut like three on. straight yeah. minutes. Oh. Yeah. Zach, how about you? Uh, I watched this a few years ago. I don't remember why someone I think recommended it to my wife and I, and um, yeah, it it had a definitely an effect on me then. And it had another effect on me now. And um, I watched the really super extended cut uh, this time. So the one that I watched was two hours and 45 minutes long, which I could tell there was stuff in it that was not in it that I didn't remember from the first time. Um, they follow a couple of the other officials on some other little tracks here and there. Okay. Um, I think one of them is the guy who's like the leader of the, I don't know how to say it, the, the youth group or it's not a youth yeah. group. The paramilitary. <laughs> yeah. The paramilitary group. Um, they follow him as he, he's playing golf and he's like not interested in giving an interview whatsoever. He wants to play golf. And then his caddy is this like really attractive young woman and at one point he turns to her and he goes, I bet you have a mole in your pussy. And I was that. just like, that was in that. Oh, okay. That was scenes in the, in the oh, two hour okay. I was like, that was, I did not remember that for the first one, but that was just like, holy shit. Where did you watch this longer version? I, someone bootlegged it for me. Oh. <laughs> so I have Apparently no idea. Apparently it was on Netflix for a while because I was reading up on that too, that <laughs> when it first appeared on Netflix, they had an extended version. And I don't know, maybe the discussion with the so, caddy went longer. Yeah, but I but, think <laughs> I saw a longer version before this one. Cause I do, yeah. I do feel like some scenes were shortened. 
um, from what I remember, like that that scene that is kind of the end of the movie in the two hour cut, the the gagging scene, that doesn't happen at the very end of the version I saw. That's like maybe two thirds or a little more of the way through the movie. Um, so there's a little bit more going on there. Yeah, at the at the the last scene of the version that I watched is uh, the girls dancing on the bridge by the fish with uh, someone in a tuxedo, which I assume is Anwar and uh, Herman in the pink dress, and they're all dancing on the bridge. And yeah, it goes they both from end like, the same. Yeah, like scene. a minute or so. Okay. Yeah, I, I I couldn't go back and dissect it really, but I just knew that there was some stuff that I didn't remember, so I didn't know if it was from sure. a specific version. However, still traumatizing in all the ways. Um, not in a way that I'm like, oh my God, I like, you know, this stuff is very real and out there and the information is out there. Um, we as people in the West tend to not really care or even want to know about it. You know, it seems like we're very sheltered in the the Western ways in the United States. And so like being exposed to things like this, especially when the comparison of it to, you know, like uh, Joshua at one point was like, somebody's like, this is like you giving the SS the ability to recreate the Holocaust. And Josh is like, no, it's not because those people are not in power anymore. These people are, they're still protected by the state. This is still happening. They will walk down the street and stab a Chinese person because they can, and it doesn't matter. And that's insane. It doesn't matter if they're communists or anything, which is why like the process that these, these guys go through, these gangsters go through till they get to the end with the remorse and all that stuff is it's like, yeah, you feel pity for them. But at the same time, it's like, how has it taken you this long or even like why in the first place, you know, that the culture, the propaganda, the brainwashing. Um, and then this time around, I saw so much more of the Trumpism happening from our culture into what happened a lot with their culture and talking about paying people off to vote and uh, going to get people to do your voting for you. And uh, just like, uh, you know, gifts that are given to people to vote. It's the whole ecosystem of politics based upon these gangsters and the way that the state runs and everything was like from the last four years, just the similarities alone were just like uh, traumatizing in that department. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot. I think the, the hardest scene for me to watch this time was the village reenactment burning scene, mm-hmm. especially when they are interviewing them after the fact. Well, the woman who just like, you know, they, she like almost dies because of it. Um, but then they're interviewing them and they're talking about what they really did during the village raids. And the one guy who's like sort of like a sub boss or an underboss, he, he's the guy who goes around and collects the money at one point from all of the Chinese vendors in the market. Um, he starts talking about how he loves to rape people, essentially. And then they start talking about f- raping 14 year old girls. And you're just it's just like devastating. It's it, it, uh, it's sickening. Um, and, uh, and so like, that was just like really tough at that point. And that's like, that was for me, like almost two and a half hours into the film. So I was just like, I, I can't, no, I can't get through the rest of this. If it's going to keep going down this, this awfulness. Um, but yeah, it, it was an experience nonetheless, both times. And, um, man, it's just, it's just insane. There's so much information that we don't even get to 
that happened because like what Alicia said, there's 40 something other guys and there's probably more that we don't even really get. We get a little bit from Adi, who's his friend that comes halfway through the film to help him film. Yeah. But the, that guy just is, he, he's honest and true, but he's just as awful, if not more awful. Cause he's like, I don't give a shit. I live my life the way I want to. I kill people. I killed people, whatever. Like now this is how I am now. This is how yeah, it he's was justified then. it for himself. Oh, and it's just like, but yeah. he's not, he, he, he's not hiding the fact or glorifying the fact he's saying, right. You know, yes, I oh, do. He admits this it's and- cruel. Yeah. And he admitted it, we did horrible things to these people, but we had yeah. reasons why we did it. And I made, I've come to terms with that, but yeah. But at least yeah. he's not in denial like some of the other people were, you know, right. which I think he was trying to confront that. But I think also that scene when he gets into that right before that, when I'm trying to remember if it was Anwar's neighbor who's playing the communists that they're torturing. And I can't remember his name, but, you know, when he when they're like, well, we need some more ideas. And he basically tells the story of essentially how his family is one of the families that is you know, had to undergo all this and he had to teach himself to read because his stepdad got, you know, taken off and shot basically. And so yeah. he's telling this story and then it's almost like all the guys are sitting there like awkward silence. Ooh, awkward. Oh, hard to transition now. Well, we just don't have time for all the stories. So sorry Yeah, we can't that. put every story in this movie. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, sure, sure, sure. You know, and then you just see him breaking down over that that scene and series of scenes that they're filming. And, yeah. you know, the camera zooms in on him quite a bit and his reaction to what he's hearing. And it's just, you know, insane to think about. I think one of the most fascinating things about this movie is just the editing process that had to probably go into it just to do it. I mean, never mind the fact that they obviously interviewed all these other guys first, but even to come down to this series of scenes and even how they were edited down ordered and ordered Mm -hmm. to give you just enough to like make you laugh in places and then feel guilty for laughing and, and, and to make light of the people, but also like, put them in context where it's really icky to watch them in that light. And I mean, the editing process had to be fascinating. And they, I, I would love just to watch like a hour long documentary where he talks about how he edited it. Well, do we know who edited it? Is that anonymous or is that? I'm assuming it's Oppenheimer, but I don't know. No, the movie had uh, at least one editor that wasn't Oppenheimer. It was, it was another uh, uh, Dutch Danish person. Um, it was only the like Indonesian people on the crew that got the anonymous uh, names because they didn't want to be in trouble with the government. So, so yeah, I'm going to throw out the, uh, the, what the hell me and uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously <laughs> and jump in here. Um, so I knew this would be a difficult film um, to watch, um, but I f- echo what Nathan said. I think it's a worthwhile film to watch Um it's 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 brilliant um it's it's a a genius film um the 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 thing that came to mind to me immediately when i started watching it the first time was borat and that's because it's got that same sort of sensibility of we're getting people to do things that they should not be doing but they are along for the ride because they think it's something fun and cool that they're doing. And what they're actually doing is letting their guard down and saying the worst possible things that they can say. Um, you know, particularly that first Borat movie is like, you know, a lot of 
that sort of sensibility felt like it went into this. And you wonder about, you know, at what point did they decide, okay, let's turn this around and have Anwar be the one that gets garroted in a scene in the movie and have him go through that. And then you see him like, you know, start freaking out and shaking his hand and going, I can't do that again sort of thing. Um, they have the conversation where he's like, you know, do you think that the people that I did that to felt the way I did? And he's like, no, they probably felt worse because they knew they were going to die and you knew you were in a movie. And he's like, no, I kind of think I felt like, I, I kind of think I, I got it. Um, <laughs> so um, I, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think this movie came to me because of its association with Werner Herzog. Um, he executive produced it and I, I saw it and I, I recommended it to a lot of people with the caveat of, you know, hold on to your butt. Like it's, it's heavy. What my parents would call a heavy drugs movie. Um, so, um, but then um, uh, I also watched the sequel, which there is a sequel to this movie called The Look of Silence. Um, and briefly, um, to talk about that a little bit, um, they go back and instead of the cast and crew, or instead of the, the folks that we see in the, in the first movie, um, the second movie focuses on a man who's 44 years old. His brother, his older brother, uh, was killed in the in the revolution um, by the uh, the communist killer guys, um, and it it deals with with the issue like almost completely from the opposite direction. Of he knows what happened. A lot of people around the country know what happened but nobody's willing to talk about it. No one's willing to say anything about it. Um, there's a scene where his son is taught what happened in school. And it's a completely propagandized, like, you know, thank God they got rid of the communists, you know, thank all the mighty heroes for what they did. Um, but there's also um, more interviews with, with people that were doing the killing and, uh, in fact, they talked to some guys who claimed to be the ones that killed this guy's brother. Um, so it's, it's an even deeper look into everything. It's much more contemplative and much more like a traditional documentary. It doesn't have the whole artifice of like, we're shooting a fake movie to get these guys to talk. This one is very much like the the active participation of the main person that they're talking to is is in on what's happening and in on what they're trying to get across and he he's sort of he's sort of on this quest to learn more about it but also to find out if the people that did this are willing to apologize to him and so he starts meeting with these killers one by one by one to kind of get and there's a varied number of reactions to that. There's people that just shut him down. There's people that deny it. Um, there's people that, that seem upset about it, but don't really give him much. Um, so 
there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff in there. And I would imagine that the 40 people, based on the sequel, I would imagine that the 40 people that they went through before they got to Anwar, I don't think they like followed them to the same degree or worked with them to the same degree. I think based on what I saw in the sequel that they would get, you know, maybe 10% of the way to where they needed to be. And, and that person would, would figure it out and go, no, I don't want to be in this. You know, this is a bad idea or somebody would talk to them about it and get them out of it. All that kind of thing. Um, because in the sequel, you really see a lot of, I mean, they talked to more, you know, government officials and like this guy has been in power for like, since like basically since 1967, um, they talked to this guy and he's just like, you know, you want to talk politics with me? You can leave. It's like, you're a politician, you know, <laughs> shouldn't we, shouldn't we talk about the real history of what happened here? And, um, so yeah, I would check that one out and that one, I don't need to give any sort of extra warnings or, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not nearly as, as brutal or gruesome or, uh, or, uh, gag is, uh, <laughs> not, not, not so much of that going on in the, in the second one. Um, the second one might be a bit sadder though. So I think one of the most fascinating things about this documentary is the fact that they do go through with making the film, but they also do like different genres and different types of scenes. And there's just moments where you're a little confused about like, is like, was this, is this a fantasy of how you thought it went down? Cause there's ways where Anwar explains how it happened, but then they like, really overdo it in some of the scenes the ones where they're like out in the forest and he's like eating his penis and stuff it's just like what are you talking about yeah um i I feel like they were making they wow i I think the people involved thought they were making a propaganda movie yeah about the mighty heroes and you know the extra sauce of that was that it was the actual heroes themselves playing the playing the roles in it. Um, so that was, that was kind of my, my read on that. Yeah. And they revisit that whole waterfall dance scene that they have at the beginning and you come back to it in the end and you see, you see these guys taking the wire off from around their necks and holding it up and then, you know, giving a medal to Anwar, you're like, what the fuck? Like, I mean, what is happening here? You thank know, you what for kind of, sending me to heaven. Thank you for sending yes. me to heaven. You know, yeah. it's Ugh. just so over the top. But I mean, that's that just that sounds like a propaganda movie to me. Absolutely. Like the lowest rated movie on IMDb is a Turkish propaganda movie. Um, and and so, you know, they they exist and they're full of crap and that's that's how it is so i think too it's something you know a lot of people can watch this movie and just think oh look at that horrible stuff that's happened in indonesia and how horrible these people are but i think also looking at it and then having that reflect having you reflect upon your own culture and say you know you don't even need the comment of hey what about guantanamo bay or what about you know what i mean like just thinking about every culture has those things that have been you know whitewashed over that you know are either 
people act like it's it's fine and was a good thing and a heroic thing or just don't talk about it and pretend it didn't happen. And I think it's, you know, a good thing for people to maybe use that a little bit of, you know, if they can as a reflection on, well, what are some things we always need to be conscious of and be thinking about and hopefully teaching and, and talking about and not hiding them. It was kind of funny to me how much this overlaps, this podcast I've been listening to, um, which is Revolutions. Um, which is something that Conan O'Brien recommended, and I just jumped right on it. Um, but they've been going through the various revolutions in history. They started with the English Revolution, and they're, I'm going through the French Revolution right now and all the mm -hmm. heads that are rolling in that. And so all the beheadings in that are echoing pretty heavily with this particular movie, and it's kind of an interesting contrast. Yeah. And I totally agree with the guy, actually. You know, the victor's write the stories, you know, right. and that's just how it is. I mean, that's how it's always been. Yeah. And I'm getting, I'm getting them confused in my mind as to which movie it was in, but there's a, there's a scene where um, someone talks about how they learned to hate the communists from the Americans and that the Americans should reward us with a, with a trip, a free trip to America or, or a cruise to America or something like that. So hmm. that must be in the sequel. Everybody looks blank. So, <laughs> so well, it is uh, Aaron's turn to choose a movie. Aaron, what have you selected for us to watch next? So, I found this movie uh, a couple years ago. I really enjoy it. It also stars uh, two two young girls. Um, really good chemistry. Uh, it is called Tragedy Girls. Okay. Thank you guys for uh, discussing the act of killing, and thank everyone for listening. We'll see you on the next Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast.